0: Hi, this is Amanda. And
1: this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal to horrifying history
0: to tense and terrible true crime and everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep.
1: We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to our 11th True Crime Digest. We have one tiny new case, but the rest are all case updates. But before we get into that, we had some strange but exciting news. So (laughs) I feel like we don't really talk about it and we've never mentioned it, I think, on the show before, but we've mentioned it to people who we know. But up until very recently, Amanda and I had never actually met in person. Nope just zoom <laughs> we were
1: internet friends
0: so like everything we did was from a distance right because we talk about like me living in baltimore and amanda living in arizona but never like how did you meet well that part's a different story but we were internet friends until this past weekend when we became real friends <laughs> Real life friends. So in earlier February, late January, my husband was like, we're going to go on like a little weekend trip. It'll be a surprise where we're going. And I'm like, "Okay." And he's like, you don't want to know. And I'm like, you said it's a surprise. That means I have no responsibility in this trip, which means I had to take on no stress for the trip. So I was like 10 out of 10. It's a surprise. And he's like, I'm not telling anyone. And I'm like, "Okay, no one knows. Little did she know. Little did I know. And Amanda's like, that would drive me crazy if I didn't know. That's just what she sounds like, right? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yep, not worried. I didn't start to stress until the day before when I was like, what if I don't back the right stuff? Because as far as I was aware, we were staying in like a guest part of someone's house who Ben's friends with. And he has like notoriously like cool, cool friends. So I was like, oh man, now I have to like worry if you think I'm cool enough.
1: <laughs> because... Am I not a cool friend of Benji's?
0: Uh, no, you're my cool friend. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I took you from him. <laughs> you were started with friends with him and now you're my cool friend. Claimed. And so... <laughs> Aside from packing, I was like, well, if it is what it is, like we get to the airport. I don't know where we're going. Well, first off, I thought we were driving. And then I was like, are we taking an airplane? And he's like, yes, we are. And I was like, "Okay, news to me. So I was like, we could be going anywhere because he was like a 10 hour travel time, which is a lot of time to get to most places. And so we had a layover in Pittsburgh. So he gets me to Pittsburgh and he's like, we're in
1: Pittsburgh. And still in the layover, she had no idea where she was going.
0: Yeah, because I had my headphones on and he was like, don't look at any signs. Don't come up to like the boarding counter thing, whatever. And at every step I was like, I'm very excited to be going to this mystery place. So people didn't think he was just like taking me and me being like, I don't know where I am. So I was like very outwardly excited to like show it. So nobody thought anything nefarious was going on. And then we were in a little like tunnel thing when you're about to get on the airplane. I like walked by that because I had my glasses off because he told me to take them off. So I didn't see anything. And I saw the word Phoenix. And so like we turned and I was like, are we going to see Amanda? Just like that. And then he said yes. And then I hit him. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And then I like did like a, an excited squat and jumped around a bit. And then we were on our way. People were like, this girl. Looking at me like, you're the most excited anyone's ever been to go to Phoenix.
1: The one and only. They're going to use you for posters. They're
0: going to be like, she was pretty fucking hyped because I even said, I'm fucking hyped. And then it was the longest like five hour flight of my life. because I was like, we're almost
1: there. We're <laughs> almost there. Yeah. Tell them your favorite part of Phoenix. The
0: bar? <laughs> <laughs> the bar. <laughs> no, it's the meats. It's the life changing beef. Aside from Amanda, obviously. We had so much food, so many meats. Delicious.
1: She tried authentic Mexican food for the first time and it opened her eyes.
0: There's probably like real authentic Mexican food around us. I just haven't found it.
1: It's hard to find.
0: But the food was amazing. And also because we went in February, it wasn't blisteringly hot. I also immediately turned to my husband and said, February is the only month I will be going to Arizona. So he's like, I know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it was perfect. It was a lot of fun. Fastest weekend ever, though.
0: It it really was like we got there on like a Thursday and we left very early on Monday. And it was like as quick as possible. We put some pictures up on our Instagram. Also, notably, we got matching ghost tattoos. Yep. So if you've seen the ghost on our dump ghost stickers or that we have around, like we've got that on our body. It's on my my thigh meat. It's on Amanda's ankle. Yeah, we'll make a post. I think we did some
1: stories, but we'll we'll post them up. They're adorable. Yes, yes.
0: There's a photo of us with sweet potato tots that have like a marshmallow cream on top. It was amazing. The food, just 10 out of 10. Just <laughs> chunky living.
1: <laughs> it was the best.
0: It was. It was an excellent surprise. And because Amanda lives in surprise.
1: That's <laughs> <Da-da-tsh. laughs> great. Yeah. My favorite is that she was able to get to a layover Without knowing where she was going. No, it's true, and I think that
0: they could have gotten me like to Amanda's house, but for <laughs> like me seeing one tiny sign out of the corner of my eye, and me being like, oh, could it be? And I think Ben was just like exhausted from like keeping the surprise, because he was like, take off your glasses, put on headphones, and then he's trying to talk to me, and I'm like, I can't hear you because you don't want me to hear you, and then I'm taking them off, putting them back on, taking them off, putting it back on, walking around an airport with no vision, just blind as can be in pittsburgh which i'm not a big fan of pittsburgh so it was a lot of trust for me to be like we're gonna leave this place though right
1: (laughs) jokes on you that's where you're going
0: jokes on you. (laughs) not pittsburgh (laughs) but it was a very fun time but anyway that's not what you're here to listen to today you're here to listen to our true crime digest but you had to know that so there you go
1: it was an exciting weekend we're still coming down
0: yeah off of like that the hype of it Yes. I'm excited to show Amanda around Maryland eventually. Yeah. Oh, and the other cool thing was that I got to meet our Patreons there, which are Marie and Gina,
1: which is very exciting. I can't wait to go to Baltimore. She promised me the Blair Witch, so I'm holding her to it. I did. In a tree. In a tree. In a tree. (laughs) I feel like
0: I have at least one person in my life who would love to act like the Blair Witch when you came. So... Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That's all I need. Yeah, I mean, minimum. Minimum of one. Maybe we'll have a Blair Witch party. I don't know what that would look like. I think it would just be like pretzel rods that are tied together to make those little stick things. Red vines and quicksand. You know what I mean? Like the whole vibe.
1: Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. When I think of Maryland, all I think of is the Blair Witch.
0: You should also think of steam crabs. Blair Witch. Blair Witch. Blair Witch eating steam
1: crabs? Maybe. I don't know what she does.
0: Have you ever eaten any seafood? I've tried seafood and I have
1: not liked it.
0: Okay, we've discussed this over the weekend because you don't like foods that don't smell good to you.
1: Yeah, I eat pretty much what like a toddler would eat. (laughs) It's my palate.
0: (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm like, would you like to
1: give me snails? I will eat them.
0: I had a cactus taco while I was there. It tasted kind of like peppers.
1: You did. It was good. It was good. All right. Well, I guess we're going to get into uh, True Crime Digest now. Yeah, we're done. We're done with Joy. We're moving
0: on to updates. They're interesting, but not joyful.
1: So in August of last year, we talked about Crystal Turner and Kylan Schulte, and they lived in their van and moved from campsite to campsite, but they were usually found in the Moab area. They were also newlyweds. Well, they were last seen alive August 14th, and then a friend found them shot to death on August 18th. Before they were killed, they had talked about a creepy man while camping outside of Moab. There were rumors that circulated pretty much everywhere. I've seen it on Facebook, TikTok all the news sites, that Brian Laundrie, who killed Gabby Petito, could have been involved. And I think that's pretty much where we left off before. So a couple things that have happened since. Grand County Sheriff Stephen White said, quote, Upon investigation, the FBI and the Florida investigators have determined, based on electronic transmission evidence, that neither Petito nor Laundrie were involved in the case. He didn't give exact details as to why they were ruled out, but did say that the rumors can be, quote, unhelpful to the criminal investigations, if not dangerous. So if you're still speculating that Brian Laundrie had anything to do with their deaths, I think it's safe to say that did not happen.
0: I think that one of the reasons why people wanted to believe that was because it's easier to believe that there's one boogeyman.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I get the
0: allure of it. But when we're looking at justice for this couple, it was delayed, likely, because of those rumors and because of the power of just like what that can do to an investigation.
1: Right. And then people going in their heads, they're believing that the killer was apprehended or in this case has passed away. But that's not the case. Exactly. So Kylan's father, Sean Paul Schulte, said, "Quote: Speculation by web sleuths was a distraction in the hunt for the real killer." And unfortunately, that's true. Do you think that that's the case with law enforcement, though,
0: or do you think that that was the case with people who would have helped on the internet?
1: Um, I don't know. I think either way. If people aren't discussing it as much, we know that sometimes the investigation gets stalled a little bit, right? Like it's not as much pressure as far as people. Or I said before, like maybe someone did see something, but in their head, they're like, oh, it's not a big deal because they got the guy or they know who the guy was. That
0: makes sense. I was just thinking, like, I don't think that, you know, somebody in a random Facebook group being like, it was Brian is going to halt the criminal investigation. But it could alleviate the pressure that's placed on local law enforcement if there's a case that's unopened and that the public is like, we don't know what happened. So that makes sense then. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then I know we've talked about it in some of the other episodes, but it's important when there is a rumor that has been dismissed, that people do refrain from talking about it, because not only does it hurt the investigation, like we've been saying, but also think of the families that are still reading this and going, that's ruled out when they see like notifications, like possible suspect, or, you know, we know who did it. And then it's like, oh, wait, that was dismissed. And their heart could stop for a second, like, oh, my gosh, maybe they caught him. Yeah. So it is sad, though, that they still don't have anyone. The investigation is still active and ongoing, and they are getting help from federal agents. There are persons of interest, but they haven't identified an actual suspect. Also, we know this in a lot of cases, but Kylan's father has also spent time in Moab trying to gather clues and develop a list of persons of interest as well. The family members having to step up sometimes. In this case, he says he is confident in law enforcement, But he is also putting his time and I'm sure money having to travel to try to solve what happened to his daughter. Yeah. And then just something else that I read about that I didn't know until recently is that Paul's gone through this before. So it's not the first time that he's lost a child. His 15 year old son got killed seven years ago in a shooting. And in an interview, he said that he shut down and isolated for nearly six months after his son's death. But he wanted to make sure to do the opposite this time. So that's why he is doing everything that he's doing. It's just because he saw that the isolation didn't really help him, but being active in the case may help him heal. I think that makes sense. I mean, especially like looking
0: back on a situation and going like, I wish I could have done more. sounds like it would be painful on top of like the loss of a child. Yeah. So being able to be like, I did everything I could. Right. Right. That poor man, though. Yeah. And two children is just horrifically unfair of the world for that to have happened to him yeah so not to give too much oxygen to another rumor but there was a person who seemed pretty suspicious involved with this case especially when we think about the original story of what we heard but that they were like there's a creepy guy that's near us and that kind of narrative that we heard from the beginning so the person who we're going to talk about they've ruled him out as a suspect but we think it's important to discuss because this was a big lead that they had they were like okay we track this town but it's not him so at the end of february this month search warrants were unsealed and it showed information about a possible suspect and as we mentioned they did seem suspicious and his name wasn't included because he wasn't charged so some of the information that was released that we found a little bit more interesting was that the man had been pulled over hours before the bodies were found he had an ohio license plate but a Utah license and resided in the mob area. The deputy said the man was so unnerving that the veteran law enforcement officer decided not to write the speeding ticket as he did not want to take his eyes off the man. And I think that's something that's really interesting is like, Amanda, have you ever been pulled over for speeding?
1: Actually, no. And as you know, driving with me, I should be. Turns out Amanda's a speed (laughs) demon.
0: I'm not a speed demon, but I have been pulled over for speeding. And I was actually speeding because I really had to pee. Like that was like the reason and I didn't feel comfortable telling the stranger that. But you get very anxious. Yeah. And that's as like a white woman, right? So like... I can't even imagine like the amount of fear and anxiety I would feel being a person of color being pulled over by a police person. Like that I feel like I would just be a bundle of nerves. And I think that's one of the interesting things is that we didn't see what this person's race was. But if you're law enforcement, you're looking at this person going, You're really nervous. You're more nervous than you should be, but they don't know that person, right? Like they're like, You seem strange. You seem too unnerved. You seem too scared of me. It's like, well, Have you been around? Have you existed in America? Yeah, there's a reason. But so it's also noted by the deputy that the man acted oddly for being pulled over for speeding. Almost a combination of euphoria and that he had been caught doing something wrong, which is a highly bizarre description to me.
1: Right? I wonder what that interaction was. I wish that there was like body cam footage or something to see exactly what this guy was doing. Yes, exactly.
0: So law enforcement was told by locals that the man routinely slept in his car, and one person had asked him to leave her place of business because he made unwanted advances towards women and it made them feel uneasy. He was questioned on August eighteenth, and. He He made vague references when he was being asked direct questions, which seems shady. So he stared vacantly at the person talking to him and answered in noncommittal ways. The idea of like asking someone a direct question about something and them giving you dead eyes feels chilling. Yeah. So he had just been hired at the Moonflower Market, which is where Kylan worked, and he admitted to seeing her there. And so what we don't understand is if it was him, why she wouldn't have said, hey, it's this guy who we just started working with. Right. Like if she knew that the creepy guy that she saw was her co-worker, she would have identified him as such and not just been like some random weirdo.
1: Right. Like maybe she didn't know his name, but she would have been like the creepy guy from work or the creepy guy that just started working with us. Something along those lines.
0: Or even if she couldn't place him, perhaps, I recognize him, I just don't know from where.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, some reference to the fact that he wasn't a new person in her life. So he also rambled a lot about interactions and said he saw both of the women at McDonald's, and McDonald's was where Crystal worked. But he said he did not kill them when officials asked. He didn't have an alibi for the night of the murder, and he wouldn't let police search his car when they requested. So when talking about the nights in question around the time of their death, he said that he often slept in a a very particular spot because it was away from people. And he said that he had actually left a blanket there. So when law enforcement went there, they found two blankets, a jacket and what appeared to be blood and all were
1: taken as evidence. So with all that being said, I know Lindsay already said this was ruled out, but What happened is after all of these were unsealed, all this information, the next day, the Grand County Sheriff's Office put out a press release on their Facebook page regarding the warrants. And it said Grand County Sheriff's Office allowed the seal on the search warrant to expire because forensic analysis determined that there was no related evidence on the items. The individual was ruled out as a suspect early in the investigation, and the individual was already well known to the BOAB community great they tell everyone okay this was unsealed however this isn't the guy but people were very upset on facebook like i was reading some of the comments and things that were shared throughout the day yesterday and they were just upset that they didn't put that out the same day that the records were unsealed because a lot of them had that sense of relief like oh there's a suspect or they know who did it and then following day they're like wait a minute that guy didn't do it we're back kind of at square one in a sense right Yeah. There was another unsealed search warrant requesting information from AT&T regarding the phone number that belonged to one of the victims. And what they said is, as only one cell phone has been recovered, we are currently searching for another phone that was known to be possessed by one or both of the victims. The information stored by the service provider or carrier of this number could provide information about the whereabouts of the phone, as well as other information that may lead to a suspect. So it's still good that there are things in the background being done to try to figure out what happened to them. Another thing I saw is that video surveillance from Woody's Tavern from August 11th through the 17th was also requested. And that's where they were last seen. So hopefully something comes up from maybe the cell phone or the surveillance video. Maybe we can see if someone was like following them or, you know, something in the background was happening. They are still looking for anything that can help them make a break in the case. And Bridget Calvert, who's Kylan's aunt, said that if someone was in the area around that time that may have had their dash cam on, a GoPro or anything like that, that it could potentially help move this case. There may be people that were in the area around the same time that still haven't even heard about the murders. So a really quick and easy thing, sharing news articles about it and information as it comes up could potentially get the attention of someone that may have some more information. Sharing information about a case could potentially help solve it. And especially for Kylan's aunt, it's important that she gets justice for her family.
0: Yeah. And you also, like, you never know who was walking a trail and found something strange nearby. Exactly. You know, like, how many times have you gone for a walk and saw something strange in the ground? I and mean, been like, hmm. And my creepy brain's like, is it having to do with that matter? But generally, I feel like people just assume things are litter, but you never
1: know. Exactly. So hopefully, there is a break in the case soon. We'll keep you updated.
0: Yeah. And I hope this stays in the news. Yeah, same. So that we keep hearing things.
1: So the next
0: case we want to give an update on is that of Kendrick Johnson, the briefest of recaps. Kendrick Johnson died in January of 2013 and his body was found rolled up in a gym mat. There were many questions that were left unanswered. And the way that he entered the gym mat has been a heavy debate, to say the least. There were a number of investigations and multiple autopsies done that left his family and everyone else who was kind of following along confused and with more questions and theories. And part of the reason why people had more questions and more concerns as more autopsies were done was because of the condition of his body and the inconsistencies in the reports. In January of 2022, this year, there was a new report released by Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Polk. And Palk was not a part of the sheriff's office at the time of Kendrick's death. And if you recall, because we did a whole episode on Kendrick, the sheriff's office at the time was very reluctant to talk to media.
1: Yeah, there's video, right?
0: Yeah, there's video. And it's just there was just this air of secrecy that like a casual observer could see very clearly. So the sheriff's office themselves going back and looking feels like a good thing, in my opinion. So, it's being released that the second local investigation by the Sheriff's office has been closed and that no charges were filed. Polk told CNN that Kendrick's death was a weird accident and that there's nothing to substantiate a homicide. And so, in looking at like how did this reexamination of the case happen? So, Polk had requested evidence that was gathered during the federal investigation in April of 2019 as part of his reexamination of the case. But the federal investigators initially declined his request. After a visit from Kendrick's family with federal investigators in November of 2020, the request was finally granted and the Justice Department turned over its investigative materials to the sheriff's office. So it's at this point that they then begin going through, quote, every page in the file. And per Sheriff Polk, nothing in the files showed, quote, any criminal action whatsoever. Paul's report was based on 17 boxes of files that were provided by the U.S. Attorney for Northern Ohio. And this included material from the Justice Department, the FBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the U.S. Attorney's Office for Middle Georgia, as well as other law enforcement agencies. It also included the federal grand jury testimony of 58 people, as well as the several separate autopsies.
1: Yeah, it shows it took him 15 months to go through every single thing. So I do have some respect for him taking an old, Case that people are still very passionate about and really trying his best to do what he can. Yeah. So the report that Polk ended up putting out was 16 pages long and it was broken up by pretty much all the rumors and what everyone's been talking about. So one was conspiring/slash cover-up. The second part was wrestling team bus departure. The third one was cameras. The fourth one was shoe storage in the wrestling mats. The fifth was fight on the bus trip to Grayson. Sixth, relationship between Taylor Eakin and Kendrick Johnson. Seven, autopsies, plural, because there's a lot of them. Eight, the viscera. And nine, observations upon finding the body. And by the viscera,
0: you mean the fact that his organs were missing, correct?
1: Yeah, what he believes happened. So he does close it with, quote, I am only providing a short synopsis of the file. If anyone can provide any other tangible evidence, I will gladly review the evidence if that person provides the evidence and a source in writing. Seems fair. Seems very reasonable. Now, Kendrick's family still believes that there is a cover up that happened. And Kenneth Johnson, who's Kendrick's father, said, quote, You can't do an investigation with the same investigators who covered it up. They're not going to uncover something that they covered up. Which, again, there's so many people, right, working on this investigation. And I do know from when we talked about it, that they believe certain people may have done certain things. And I can see how he would still look at it and be like, well, what's out there is what's out there. Like the things that they didn't want you to see are gone. So I still see why he's feeling the way he does. But also, on the other hand, we don't know what happened. We talked about in our episode some of the oddities, and we're going to talk about a couple more in a bit. We did take a piece of his report that we found very odd. So Sheriff Polk has offered 500000 of his own money to anyone who has information that leads to an arrest or a conviction. Polk said, quote, after the release of my synopsis of the federal files on Kendrick Johnson's case, his parents have called me a liar and continue to state that Kendrick was murdered. $500,000 is a lot of money for a sheriff, right? I thought that too. Yeah, that was a little weird. Or a small part of me is like, he thinks that there is absolutely nothing that can come up of this. So he's pretty confident in offering this because he knows no one will get it. Like it's a bluff. Yeah, right? Like that's what went through my mind. Yeah, but I would imagine he has to have it though. I mean, do they check when people are like, I will give a reward? I don't know. That's true. So he also said, because of these statements, I am personally, with my own funds, offering a reward of half a million dollars to anyone who comes forward with information that results in the arrest and conviction of a person for the alleged murder of Kendrick Johnson at Lowndes High School. Interesting.
0: Which I think you're right. I think that is his way of being like, I believe so thoroughly that there is no one to arrest that I'll put up that much money. One of the things that I appreciated the most about this report was that we can all agree, whether you think... Think that something suspicious happened or not, that the way that this case was handled makes it look like there was something shady happening, right? Like, okay, imagine this, right? Imagine you're sitting on your phone and you like smile at it and then you do a little giggle and then you lock your phone and put it face down and your husband says, Who are you talking to? And you're like, Nobody. And you get real fucking weird and real fucking guilty. He's gonna be like, Who the hell are you talking to? (laughs) Like, I think that he was once maybe like, about he's now very concerned with right and it turns out you were giggling at a cat photo and there was nothing wrong with what you were doing but if you ask sketch as hell people are going to think that you're hiding something sketch as hell exactly yeah and there's a few times
1: that it was just like why would they do that yeah and why did that happen
0: and so here's the this particular list that sheriff paul concludes a person is offering financial inducement while giving testimony. An FBI agent is told not to bring or interview a witness because he would not be good for the government's case. A letter from the U.S. state's attorney's office for the Middle District of Georgia to the Washington, D.C. police chief states this case could make them quote unquote, famous. The U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia was on a, quote, first name basis with a person at Ebony Magazine, the magazine that lost a court case for defaming the Bell family and providing the magazine with internal information while the case was active. Interviews were conducted that asked who killed Kendrick Johnson, which leads the person to the opinion he was killed when the proper question would be, what do you know about the death of Kendrick Johnson? Affidavits for searches contained blatant errors that would never have been approved by most judges. A text that is in evidence instructs the person to lie while testifying. The person who sent this text was never even questioned about it. A prosecutor sent a statement that Eric Holder the U.S. state's attorney general, is pressuring for a result in the case. And lastly, an email that contains a statement from a female to a male counterpart that states, I had to make him feel like a man so he would be open to talking. After that meeting, an autopsy was amended. So there's all of these things where he goes, to me, it seems like he's like, I agree that it sketches hell, but I still can't find anything.
1: Yeah, I do respect Polk for a actually including all of that, because that's a lot of the things that on our end we couldn't see. Yeah. A lot of people don't know about internal email exchanges, right? So it's good that he included it. But then also, on the other hand, I'm thinking of like Kendrick's family. How will he know what happened with that testimony, right? Like, why were they offered something for it? Why was an FBI agent told not to bring or interview a witness? Like, that's weird. Uh, It wouldn't be good for the government's case. It was it because there was murder or was it because maybe they were worried because of the safety of a school? You know, like, what were they covering up or what were they working on?
0: Well, and I honestly, the inclusion of this list To me, adds a little bit more legitimacy to Sheriff Polk because I'm going, okay. it's not that you don't see anything wrong with this case and how it was handled. It's just you don't see anything that would be a criminal act that would have led to his death.
1: Right. Right.
0: And there's a big difference there between I think this case was handled great and I found evidence of a crime. And if what we're looking for is evidence of a crime, not evidence of a poorly handled case where we haven't found that yet.
1: Right. Right. So if there are any updates that come of what Polk's doing right now with a reward for anyone coming forward, we will let you know. Yeah. So let's move on to another case. There's one that we spoke about in August of 2021, and that was the Garrish Chung family. And John Garrish, Ellen Chung, and Miju, their one-year-old daughter, and then their dog as well, Oski, died on the Savage Lundy Trail in the Sierra National Forest, which is near Yosemite National Park, on August 17th. Search and Rescue found the family near the Devil's Gulch area, and John was in the seated position with Miju, and Oski was next to him. Ellen was found a little further up the hill. They were reported missing the evening before around 11 p.m. The nanny showed up, and no one was home, and they did not show up for work either. It was noted that their truck was also missing, so it wasn't at home. The Mariposa County Sheriff's Office released the cause of death for the Garrish Chung family. The FBI computer and phone forensics team, in conjunction with the Mariposa County Sheriff's Office, were able to get information from John Garish's phone. In October of 2021, the Sheriff's Office released that the family had died of hyperthermia based on extensive testing. Officials were able to get GPS locations from John's phone and recreate the path that the family took. And the details from the phone confirmed that they did indeed die of hyperthermia, which makes me really, really sad. It makes me really sad. But I know that when I first heard this case,
0: the explanation of hyperthermia was not, I don't want to say a satisfying, but it wasn't a believable answer because of the way the bodies were positioned to me. It just felt strange. And because they were experienced hikers from everything that I understood. So here's the information that they got from the phones. The first part is the photos. So both John and Ellen took multiple photos throughout their hike. And then the following photos are specifically noted. So the first photo such video was taken at 744 in the morning, and it was taken just a few yards from the trailhead. 16 minutes later at 8 a.m. There's a trail photo at 905. There's a photo of the river between 9.35 and 9.39, there were eight photos taken of the river and of one another. At 10 a.m., they took a selfie-style photo. At 10.16, they took another selfie-style photo. At 10.29, they took a creek-slash-river photo. And at 12.25, they took a screenshot of their location from the trail app. So you can get a pretty good feel for, like, where they were walking just from these photos. Right. And so they were able to, like, match that with the GPS location to be like, this is exactly where they were and when. And so they also found that there was a text message that they had tried to send, but because of poor service, it didn't go through. And it said, can you help us on Savage Lundy Trail heading back to Heights Cove Trail? No water overheating with baby.
1: That makes my heart so sad.
0: So sad.
1: Gives me chills. Like they're just trying to get help and weren't able to.
0: And like with baby, I think just like is what gets me, you know? So, again, they had poor cell service, so when they tried to make calls, they weren't able to, and this included emergency calls. So they made a total of five calls, one at 1209, one at 1235 1236 and then another 13 seconds later at 1236 as well and then another six seconds later at 1236 so like i think they they could feel what was happening and were trying to get help but they just couldn't and it's incredibly heartbreaking and i'm just so sad for their families
1: yeah and just knowing that they were trying to get help it wasn't like a quick thing that happened it was over time yeah yeah just makes me so sad. Yeah. So I want to say that the sheriff's office said that this would be the final update, right?
0: Yeah. So I don't think we're going to hear much more from this other than, you know, if there's additional like memorial services that are planned or anything like that. Yeah. I don't think we're going to hear anything officially about this case anymore.
1: So very sad ending. Agreed. And I will say because we have so many sad updates, we did save kind of a happy one for the end.
0: Yeah. We actually have two kind of happy ones to get us through. One of them's kind of happy. The other ones a happy ending
1: yeah so we also have some updates to samuel little and we did an episode on him a while back so he had his own so samuel little had been dubbed the most prolific serial killer in the united states he confessed to 93 murders and 60 of his confessions have been confirmed. There's plenty of serial killers who have made tons of confessions, right, that just weren't confirmed, like Henry Lee Lucas. But in this case, they were confirmed. So that's just a lot, a lot of people. Per the law enforcement officer who interviewed him for his 93 confessions, quote, nothing he has ever said has been proven to be wrong or false. is not that chilling. Just That's so many people. It's, it's an incredible amount of people. It just makes me uneasy every time we talk about him. So he committed murders in 29 different cities in 19 different states over the span of 50 years. Some of his victims were ruled overdose accidental or undetermined causes. Some of it was due to their bodies sometimes being found sometime later or due to decomposition. So it was hard to tell what happened to them. And then also what played a little part in it was due to their lifestyles. It wasn't questioned, which is absolutely heartbreaking and disgusting. So
0: in December of 2020, 21, law enforcement released details in many of the cases that are still unsolved. And I went through all of the cases and read through each one. And there's a total of 31. So we're not going to go through them, but we are going to touch on some kind of like bird's eye level view notes. Law enforcement is hoping that new details will help the victims be identified, and we'll post more on social media, too, with more detailed information. But all of the unmatched murders occurred between 1970 and 1997. And during this time period, though, Little was incarcerated seven different times, and each of those seven times, he was incarcerated for longer than six months. So of all of the details that they gave, each one included a place, a physical description of the woman, um, a name, if he knew it. Sometimes he would describe them as nicknames. Sometimes it was just like if he thought their name, he described their skin tone. Often in terms of food, like he used terms like chocolatey or honey or caramel and those kinds of words, every single woman was strangled. They were all left in piles of trash, in weeds. He talked about pushing several over fences into neighboring properties, and he said that he had bitten some of his victims. Like reading through this was like one of the hardest reads that I've done.
1: Yeah. It's sad to think like, okay, that someone could do this to someone. But then when you look at how many people he did this to, it's hard to just wrap your head around.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about Samuel a little a few times down. We've said that 93 number and I don't think it's like, it didn't feel real until you realize with what detail he remembers what he did to these women and he did terrible and awful things to them and so for this group of women where their information was released 16 of the murders happened in California so I spent like a significant portion of last night going through NamUs's unidentified remains because they have a whole section of their website that you can look at and there's over 550 women that are unidentified in California alone
1: that wild just so many people
0: It blows my mind, and it's just, like, 550 people don't have justice, and 500—I mean, I'm saying 550, but it was, like, about that number. That's the number of families who are missing someone or people who didn't have anybody to advocate for them. Oftentimes, there's pictures— you can see what they look like or there's recreations or they'll talk about where they're found and it's heartbreaking. But I think the hard thing too is when you're trying to match a victim with a killer's statement, the information on the remains that are found and unidentified, you don't know when they're from. So I would find dozens and dozens of women's skeletal remains that were found, but with nothing saying like, they look like they had been there 10 years. They look like they had been there five years, right? Like you can't match... A person to a set of remains if you don't know, and like, obviously, I'm hoping that like on back ends, law enforcement has a lot more information that they could like readily use to identify. But we've learned so much about like what does and doesn't happen for people who aren't being looked for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, if there's like Daniel Robinson, whose father is like zealously advocating for him to be found, what happens if you don't have a dad like that? Right? Nobody finds you. Don't mind me crying today, <laughs> but. I don't even know necessarily how to like characterize like the feeling of just seeing that many people. Yeah, and and realizing just like the scope of what is it that we're looking at in terms of information, it's just that we have very little, and it doesn't seem like we have enough people looking for these unidentified folks. Not to say that there's not people looking, but like the people who have access to the information who can do this,
1: right? And some of the people that were found in California, right? There's about 550 unidentified women's bodies, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that they were from California. It doesn't. No, they. Could could have been visiting. They could have been there for, you know, one reason or another. And that's just when something happened to them. So people in, let's say, I know I'm looking at our list, someone in Georgia could be missing someone. And one of those victims in California, that could be them. Well, and also, so Samuel Little was very clear and, and you know, pretty detailed
0: and able to say, like, this is the state where he murdered a woman. So he often gave a state and a city. So we're able to go like, okay, a woman roughly this age in, this city was someone found, right? And I kept trying to do that. But it became really clear that, like, timing might not match up. So he says 1996, but they may not have been found for years. So how do you look at that? And then just looking at the unidentified person side of it, like, they can do a lot with trying to understand how old someone was. But, like, he's going to have a better understanding of, like, looking at them as an alive person. And, like, he had, like, this is what they look like. This is what their skin tone was. This is what they were wearing. This is where I found them. This is what we did. Versus on the other side, sometimes it's... It's just skeletal remains found in a field. And like, that's the information you see. Yeah. So I don't even like they're releasing all of these details on women. And I'm hoping that someone can look at this information and go, I know who that is. I know that my friend went missing around this time and this was her. That's what I'm hoping. But because we know that oftentimes His victims were people that he, quote unquote, didn't think would be missed. It keeps me up. Like, I I don't think since Texas Killing Fields, I've like sat and just like cried at a case because it's just like it feels so impossible.
1: Right. It does.
0: But so there were victims, 16 victims in California included in this list, as well as five from Florida, three from Georgia, two from Louisiana, one from Mississippi, one from Nevada, one from Ohio, one from South Carolina, and one from Tennessee. We'll include a link to this list that has the details. In some instances, there are also the drawings that he sketched. If you remember from our episode, we talked about how law enforcement had given him art supplies because I'm pretty sure he had a photographic memory. So he was able to like disgustingly remember what he did, but also draw the women. Yeah. So there's like sketches and when you see some of the women that have been identified his pictures are actually like a pretty decent rendering of what they look like.
1: Yeah. And he had details, like a good representation of each woman. Yes. Yes. Woof. Yeah, this is a rough one. And I just, like I said, I can't wrap my head around how it went on that long and just 93 murders. My gosh. And I mean, and I think he's a really good example
0: of what happens when you don't have cross jurisdictional support.
1: Right, right. Because then it just keeps happening. Yeah. And what? He was arrested a bunch of times. Yeah. And th- that was like the only cool off time, too. Like he's behind bars, no one got murdered. And then right when he's released, he would just go. Exactly. Gross.
0: And I mean, in reading his descriptions, at one point he talks about wiping down prints and it was one of the first times where it was like, it seems like you actually don't want to get caught because he would talk about like taking a woman to an isolated place, strangling her. Sometimes they would have consensual sex before. Sometimes they wouldn't. He talked about wanting to have postmortem sex with one person, but couldn't. He talks about like his disposal methods and it never seemed like he was like, oh no, I might get caught. Right. If it wasn't part of it, he was like, I drug her into an alley. And it was like, you didn't know if anybody was in there. You didn't know if somebody was going to be on the other side of a fence or behind a corner. Like, he just did things. He felt untouchable. Intense confidence. Yeah, because he had victims that people weren't asking about for the most part.
1: Right. So hopefully some of these victims are identified. Hopefully all of them are identified. And that in the future, we can talk about that.
0: Yeah. Amanda, will you tell me a story of a person with a relatively happy ending compared to everything else we fucking talked about today?
1: Yeah. When we were researching, I'm like, we have to include this one because it's the first time in a while I saw something on the news where I was like, something good. I mean, it's it's still sad, but good. Yeah. Let's talk about the case of Paisley Schultes. And Paisley was four when she went missing two years ago. She was just found mid-February alive. About 160 miles from where she went missing. Wow. That's crazy, right? Two years, you know, like the statistics on kids when they disappear. And just knowing that two years later, one was found alive just made my heart really happy. So what happened is police received a tip on where to look. And while investigators were searching the home, they noticed something odd while going up the stairs. There appeared to be a blanket, and when they were shining their flashlight between the steps, they could see, you know, like it just didn't really make sense. So officers then removed some of the steps and saw Paisley's feet. So they just kept removing the steps to get to her. They then found Paisley and the person who abducted her inside the steps. And authorities described the space as small, cold, and wet, which breaks my heart, that poor girl. But I don't think she was kept in there the entire time. I think it was... Just to hide, I'm hoping from what I understood, yeah, I, I agree that that seemed to be the case. yeah, so it seems like she was abducted by her father and his father, but just to to add something good, she was unharmed and now she is safe.
0: That is excellent news and i'm I'm glad that her family knows where she is and they know that she's okay. Our last case that we're gonna update on is Jelani Day, and we've talked about him. I believe, in every episode since we first heard about his death. And I have this at the end because I feel like it's good news what they're doing in Illinois. And I wish they did this everywhere. So Illinois lawmakers are proposing the Jelani Day bill. And this is the synopsis of the bill. It amends the Missing Persons Identification Act. It provides that a coroner or medical examiner with custody of human remains that are not identified within 72 hours of discovery shall promptly notify the FBI of the location of those remains and the failure to identify the remains.
1: That's so good.
0: That's so fucking good. 72 hours and they don't know who it is, they go straight to the FBI. No messing around. They're going to find out what happened to this person. Like, that is how it should be, I feel like, because I feel. When you aren't accountable to anybody, that makes me concerned. But also, if you can't do it, find out who can.
1: Right, for sure. And just having one agency have all of that information too, you know, like after the 72 hours is great. Exactly. Because we've talked about all the jurisdictions and people not talking about just a city away. Someone goes missing and then the next city over has a body. And they're like, who could this be? Exactly. So good. So fucking
0: good. It makes
1: me really happy
0: that this is a thing that is going on and might be passed in Illinois. I hate the reason why. Yeah. The catalyst is awful. This is still a good thing, though. And so we'll chalk this part up to a good thing. Yeah. So I think this is pretty much it that we have for our True Crime Digest today. When we have Laurie Vallow updates, we'll include them in a separate episode. But there's not really much going on right now. So we're going to save it till next month to see if there's anything else. And we can talk about the hearings that are coming up then, too.
1: Yeah, later this month, there's a couple hearings. So we'll fill you in next time. Yeah. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com.
1: If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod and on Twitter at True Creeps.
0: We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps.